The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your evil mind? Oh, you insulting tongue in my mind. And welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. Yay! Okay, that was like five seconds longer than I needed, but thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm boosting the audio on, until I figure out what like changed itself in my audio setting. So fair enough. Coming to you live from the bridge of the Inter- Enterprise, it is I, Roddy Cat, your host. Uh, you can find me at RoddyCat on on Twitter at RoddyCat. Guess what? Uh, you can also find me at Newsdays Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Carolina, ching. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ching. <laughs> you know what? I could. Yeah, I'm not doing all that. Um, and with me tonight, providing the sound effects, you know. By hand because you hey know, he, Dougie Fresh style exactly because you know he can he can do that um, <laughs> is one one Brooklyn born one Brooklyn raised well, actually, I don't even know if you're Brooklyn born but that's okay it doesn't matter yes yes okay. just right. like MCA said <laughs> exactly there you go so one Brooklyn born Brooklyn raised agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram what's up everybody. No! Sleep! Tell Brooklyn! There you go. Yeah, there. I'm, I'm working on the sound in the background, ladies and gentlemen, so I might just, like, pop uh, a sound effect in there just to, like, experiment. So if uh, our recording ends up being littered with sound effects that are louder than what we hear, sorry about that. Yeah, it'll be fine. We got this. It'll be fine. But tonight, folks, um, what we do not have or who we do not have is one PCN underscore dirt on um, Twitter. Uh, also, PopCultureNet on Twitter, PopCultureNetwork.com and his umbrella sites therein. Also, the Vine Alternative Byte, B-Y-T-E, under comic reviews, no uh, bowels. Ka-ching! Oh, there you go, yeah. Um, and also, not with us tonight, is the Osiris of this ish. One, Tim D-O-G... G98 on Twitter. Pa, um, CB Cron on Twitter. Excuse me. Uh, if you did not catch that, CB Cron on Twitter. Uh, the Click Nation on Twitter. That's D K L I Q N A T I O N. Theclicknation.com. And Comic Book Resources, where he's over there writing his face off. Ka-ching. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Coastal of Podcast Network, CSPN.us. Do it today. Ka-ching! Uh, you can also find us at your podcast perusal place of choice. Uh, whether it be Google Play, uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, and the Gold Colds, the Cold, the Gold Slither, the Cold Slither podcast uh, SoundCloud page. Ka-ching! Exactly. And if I didn't say, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Uh, as you can see, Agent 70 is um, coming from the stylish deep bunkers of the shield headquarters 
for tonight. <laughs> we are all taking advantage of everyone jumping on the Zoom train and putting in virtual backgrounds. Yeah, because yeah, because we're using Skype as you can see in the corners, and yeah, that's just everybody's like, we got we could do this too. We need to get on some yeah. of that, and we might be more I, secure. <laughs> that is the truth. Except that Skype. is the truth. Except Skype's not necessarily all that much, but but we don't need to get into that because that's a little techie. Um, exactly. That that's you know that's for another podcast. Um, we are going to talk about uh, first of all, we're going to talk about the news like we sometimes tend to do. But um, matter of fact, yeah, I'll just go ahead and say that now. We're just going to get into the news and we'll talk about the subject when we get to it. Absolutely. So we'll start out like we know normally to do at this time with the cinematic news. The cinematic news. <laughs> Love it. Um, hey, man. I can hear it. It's just that I don't know if anyone else can. So we can hear it a little bit. Yeah, we, I can hear it a little low, but well, but it is what it's it is. one of those weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we're working through it. We're going to be all right. Um, Marvel movies, Thor 4, Dark Strange 2, and more receive new release dates. So, um, yeah, that's the thing that is happening. I think we've talked about some of this already, but uh, just in case you were under a rock or something, um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel comes out, will come out on... Well, I should say tentatively at this point because they could very well change it. October 7th, 2022, Spider-Man Far From Home sequel on... Excuse me, November 5th, 2021, uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness on March 25th, 2022, and Thor Love and Thunder on February 11th, 2022. And they also cool. go into Tom Holland's uh, Uncharted movie and some other stuff that's that's gotten gotten delayed, but we don't need to worry about that. Right. Next up. Next up. Um James Gunn, the director of all of the Guardians of the Galaxy's movies, again, um, was uh, doing a volume two watch party on social media. And while there, a Twitter user asked if Mantis would be able to reinstate Gamora's memories, spoiler alert for Infinity War and Endgame, um, in the next Guardians of the Galaxy installment. And he said that Mantis won't be able to do that. And that would be a terrible thing, I think, plot-wise for them to do. I think they should uh, jump right into this, uh, you know, different Mantis and uh, a different uh, Gamora and see what happens. Right. And as you may or may not see from what we're talking about, uh, the event that we're going to talk about later, you might see a parallel in the changes, let's just say. Exactly. Um, But yeah, and I don't think, I don't recall that ever being actually Mantis, a part of Mantis's power set. Like, she definitely is an empath and she definitely, you know, has has some other uh, low-level tele- telepathic abilities. Right. And and I was about to say, that's a pretty tough... Uh, that's a pretty tough nut to crack for most telepaths. You know, right. talking about Charles Xavier and, and, and whatnot. That's not something that is simple to do. Like, literally put memories into someone that never actually experienced them. Exactly. Because, yeah, exactly. Because the version of the, the version of Gamora at the end of that movie is basically a, a f- one that wouldn't have those memories yet because it's the past one right. and 
while Mantis has been in the picture for a relative different time, there's still a whole big gap that she wouldn't be able to do even if she could. Right. So it, it is what it is on that one. Uh, but you know, we'll see what they plan to do when that movie, when three comes out. Um, Infinity War, the real reason Thor speaks Groot. So apparently, uh, James Gunn also was saying, I'm assuming during the same, um, the same watch party, that uh, Thor was making a joke, as he's prone to do, when he said Groot was an elective on Asgard. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy director said, when asked about the matter on Twitter, as uh, he has been a guard of sorts, he doesn't uh, have the same high bar for uh, understanding Groot as the Guardians do. Which basically, he's also in a related uh, tweet, it was brought up the fact that Peter Quill couldn't understand Groot, because, and even though he's using a translator. Uh, right. And that is because, well, somebody said, despite wearing a universal translator, but Gunn said that he doesn't have a universal translator, he just has a translator, and it doesn't have all of the languages, and he reminds folks that he couldn't, uh, didn't have Sakarian in the first film, for example. Right. And that people don't learn Groot through knowing the language. They learn through connecting with Groot. Okay. Which makes sense. Well, I guess which makes some sense the way they did it anyway. And I guess it makes sense in general. You know. So, yeah. that So that was all that uh, from that. Next up. All right. There is a new poster uh, that is a blast from the past for the upcoming Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7. It channels classic painted 1980s movie posters in the style of Drew Struzan. The poster shows the team assembled and ready to go back to 1931 to save S.H.I.E.L.D. from a new threat before the clandestine agency is even founded. In addition to the 1930s imagery, an alien spacecraft and rocket in the midst of takeoff are both seen in the background. Pretty cool. So here's the thing about that quote unquote. That looks like a Quinjet, uh, the MCU Quinjet. I could be wrong, and it might be modified, but that's what that that uh, the alien spaceship looks like, and the rocket taking off looks like uh, the Fantastic Four spaceship. Okay, interesting. Now I'm not saying that's what it is, but if you look at the picture, it kind of it does seem similar to from from that. So yeah, there you go. Um, I need to catch up on that. Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier's Sebastian Stan says, Bucky has no shield envy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Sebastian Stan was uh, explaining to the Hollywood Reporter that he viewed Steve's action as uh, granting his old friends a lot, his old friend a life, much like the ex-Sentinel of Liberty had done for himself. Uh, quote, unquote, Steve is saying to Bucky, you're going to go and do that, too. Uh meaning get a life i guess uh, i'm not going to put this thing on you we're both going to live our lives the lives that were actually taken back from taken from us back in the 40s when we enlisted uh so that's where stan uh, sebastian stan says so that's where i felt they were at the end of the movie uh, i didn't think there was a desire or any conflicted thoughts about taking on that mantle sam to me was always a clear man to take on the mantle for numerous reasons which also comes uh with so much more baggage that's going to be explored in the show uh, I guess you'll have to tune in to Disney Plus to find out why, unquote. So, okay. And then, he, and then he goes on and says, like, at the end of uh, Endgame, for for either Steve or Bucky, is not really about the shield. Which, yeah, seems to play out. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much how it played out. Mm-hmm. Um, Next up. All right. 
uh, a potential Spider-Man spinoff featuring Marvel's characters Silver Sable and Black Cat may find new life as a limited television series on Disney+. Plus. Uh, during an interview with uh, The Hollywood Reporter celebrating the 20th anniversary of Love and Basketball, director Gina prince Bithwood was asked about the current status of Silver and Black. The project, first announced in 2017, was shelved in August 2018. So that would be interesting because um, when did Sony decide to play that nicely with Disney? With some of the other Spidey characters. Right. But I thought this was under Fox. No, it wouldn't because it would have gone under. See, yeah, see, that's the weird thing about this. Because first, because first I was thinking about this, like, wait, this is under Fox, and then I was like, wait, no, it's not because it's under Spidey stuff, which is under right. Sony. So I don't know. That's really strange, unless yep. because of the fact that um, Disney and Marvel still has uh, television. No, because Sony was doing all the Spider-Man animated stuff too. Uh no, uh whatchamacallit. You might be right on that uh on that account. Mm. It might be the television thing, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Yeah, like it's it's it, that's some of that stuff is kind of weird. Um Right. So I guess at some point that'll that'll be popped out. Um Yeah, it even says in his auto article it's like silver and black was a Sony Pictures product, so yeah, you know, mm-hmm. weird. So I guess that was her just speculating. Anyway, uh, Ewan, Ewan McGregor almost played Silver Surfer back in the 90s. Hello there. <laughs> I have the high ground, Galactus. Oh, um, <laughs> oh no, God. We're probably, you know what, given, before I even go into the article, given the number of bad movies of Marvel properties back then, I'm looking at you, Captain America and Fantastic Four. Granted, that Captain America was well before, but Fantastic Four and that whatever that Avengers one was almost, mm-hmm. it's probably just as well. But back in the 1990s, long before the MCU uses of screen rights to Marvel's, many characters were dealt out to various uh, studios, uh, several movies in development that never got made at the time, and several that eventually did, a.k.a. Blade, X-Men, Spider-Man. Uh, one realized Marvel movie from the 1990s was 20th Century Fox's Silver Surfer, which was to be directed by Aussie filmmaker Je- uh, Jeffrey Wright, 1992's Stomper. And as far as I know, not not uh, the same Jeffrey Wright, the actor. Right. Um, now, a storyboard artist, artist who worked on the project has revealed some of the artwork from the film and revealed two actors that were reportedly up for the lead roles, one of them being uh, Ewan McGregor, and the other one was oh Steve Burkhoff as uh, Galactus, and uh, okay, this was on, yeah, this was on Twitter. I don't know who that last person was. All right, well, as uh, as Obi Wan would would say memorably, <laughs> don't try it. So, <laughs> oh, Burkhoff was a veteran stage and screen actor and playwright who played the villain in Octopussy, Rambo First Blood Part 2, and Beverly Hills Cops. Okay. I, okay. I do know that dude now. Yes, yes. You were the chosen one. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Victor Maitland. Oh, Victor Maitland. If that is the same guy, if I'm not. Yeah. So, That's funny. Yeah. Next up. All right. As shared by The Hollywood Reporter, the Rogue One prequel series. Starring Cash uh, in Andor has cast two new actresses, Genevieve O'Reilly and Denise Guff. 
O'Reilly will be reprising her role as Mon Mothma, a role she played in the Star Wars universe for a while, appearing in Rogue One, as well as lending her voice to Star Wars Rebels. Goff, another Irish actress whose most prominent role for most American nerds might be voicing Yennefer in Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, has been cast in an unknown role. Okay. Nice. Cool. Well, we'll see what happens when that actually gets off. Um, as a matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to ask you to take these next three. Okay. <laughs> because Roddy Cat is not <laughs> up to date on his last season of Clone Wars watching, so might as well just turn off audio for this and let me babble. <laughs> so, um... That incredible Clone Wars fight is even better when it's synced up with Revenge of the Sith. So Clone Wars' endgame has inextricably entangled itself in the events of the Star Wars prequel trilogy's own endgame in a way that makes for some truly incredible drama and lightsaber fights. Um... You can watch the original Darth Maul help bring Clone Wars' most incredible lightsaber duel to life. It's so awesome because it was actually partially mocap. And which is the next um, article. Right. So in a new Clone Wars clip, Rex and Ahsoka just jam that knife right into your chest. So just uh, just to uh, finish up with the mocap stuff, though. Oh, wait. Um, I thought, what's that? Oh, oh shoot. I had that article in there, and I think it got disappeared somehow. About oh, the you the one with the YouTube clip? Yeah. The, um... Right. Well, I mean, I can talk about it. It's okay. You can. Put oh, actually, it. no, I do have it. Yeah, watch the original Darth Maul. Help yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's that, that's what I I figured. I didn't open it. I just yeah, yeah. figured that's what it was. Yeah. So ultimately, if you go on uh, StarWars.com, has it? Star Wars Twitter has it. I think even the Star Wars Instagram has it. It's a video clip that was produced by Star Wars to go behind the scenes of the lightsaber fight in the most recent episode of Clone Wars. And it uh, shows that Ray Park comes back, was invited back to do mocap um, uh, uh, lightsaber fighting for Darth Maul. In the cartoon, which is super cool, and they got the same stunt woman that does um, the armor in the Mandalorian uh, to do the stunts for Ahsoka, and it just comes out super. Like I noticed the quality of the lightsaber fighting when I watched it. I even tweeted it out. The next thing I know, um, you know, like a day later, I see, or two, or a few days later, I see the tweet. Uh, I see the tweet that shows um, uh, this uh, this clip that Star Wars produced, and of course, you know, it uh, you know there, there's a reason why it looked and felt so good for an animated lightsaber battle. So, please, please, everyone, check that out, and please get up to date on Clone Wars. <laughs> I, I feel attacked. <laughs> But yes, if you're watching the video, you can uh, you can see the a clip of a side by side from it that is uh, that was uh, from the article. And last but not least, on that part anyway. Oh, the in a new Clone Wars clip, Rex and Ahsoka just jam that knife right into your chest. This is really spoilery stuff because this is for the episode that's going to come out. Um, 
uh, this is being recorded Thursday, April 30th. So there is a May 1st episode and a May 4th episode specifically there. And they're going to forego waiting a full week to uh, have the release of the episode coincide with May 4th, obviously for May the 4th be with you. So um, people, you have only a little bit of time left to get caught up on Clone Wars before everything is spoiled the hell out for you. So, you know, you are duly warned, Roddy Cat. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And as we uh, force push that to the side, Supergirl Photos, uh, welcome back a DC hero, a.k.a. Miss Martian. Uh, when Supergirl returns with an all-new episode on May 3rd, it will bring the return of a DC hero who hasn't been seen since Season 2. A new batch of photos from uh, Deus Lex Machina reveals that McGann Moores, a.k.a. Miss Martian, Sharon Leal, uh, will be appearing in the episode. Yay! Uh, McGann made her first appearance in Season in two of Supergirl, working at a bar for alien refugees. Over the course of the second season, she and John Jones, uh, David Harwood... Uh, fell for each other. Boy, did they. And he was crushed when she left. I remember that. So, yeah. So, apparently, she will be uh, coming back. And the episode would also show how Lex Luthor, John Cryer, which, man, Ducky's playing Lex Luthor. What's going on? Uh, rose to power during the aftermath of the Crisis on Infinite Earth's crossover. Um, and, by the way, hey, go watch, um, go back to, to our last episode and or last two episodes and check out um, the comic book version of us talking about that said uh, event. Exactly. Uh, this episode also marks the director or the directorial debut of Melissa Benoist, AKA Supergirl. So cool. Next up. All right. Uh, though she started off as a minor villain on the flash fan favorite Arrowverse character, Laurel Lance uh, slash black siren, uh, I got something for that. I don't know if you'll hear this, but who um, eventually switched sides on Arrow following a redemption arc that spanned two seasons. This arc ultimately saw her take up the Black Canary identity that once belonged to her deceased Earth One counterpart. Who, uh, according to the character's actor, Katie Cassidy, more stories involving the character may be on their way. Great. I mean, this is kind of neglecting the fact that, you know, during the first, I don't know, four or five seasons of Arrow that she was actually on the show as Laura Lance and did actually end up taking up um, um, the Black Canary uh, mantle after her sister Sarah died, who came into mm-hmm. But that's because, you know, that's just, you know, sure. She didn't necessarily start off as a minor villain. She did after her character was killed off and then uh, this other other this multiverse version of her came into the picture so yeah you know in case you weren't watching which i don't know not how many people were anyway harley quinn's animated show joins sci-fi in may which that's weird sentence to say um dc universe's hit animated series harley quinn is set to premiere on sci-fi next month with the, the announcement coming in a recently released trailer the trailer gives you a look into the world of Harley Quinn while also introducing her group of friends, including uh, King Shark, Poison Ivy, and Dr. Psycho. Uh, welcome to the sci-fi family, Harley Quinn. Read a recent statement about the series. So, cool. Weird, but cool. Well, I guess right. it makes sense for us, because isn't sci-fi also a, a Warner Brothers property? No idea. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't matter. Next. 
So, uh, Zoe Kravitz, who has been cast as Catwoman in the upcoming uh, Matt Reeves Batman, has joked that she might need a bigger cat suit by the time self-isolation and quarantine are over um, and the Batman can resume production, although she credits food, wine, and weed for getting her through quarantine. Uh, you know, it's tough to remain in that tip top shape while you are only able to virtually train, uh, with her trainer. Um, you know, she's just being candid about it. It's, it's kind of tough to stay in that kind of shape. You know, just think of all the professional athletes who can't get to their, um, get through their training regimen. It's very similar. Right. And her with a few pounds is still kind of fine. So, I mean, you know, (laughs) being honest. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 director on why the film has two villains. Um, so Wonder Woman 1984 director Patty Jenkins shared her reasoning behind including both Barbara Ann Minerva, Cheetah, and Maxwell Lord as villains in the upcoming film. Uh, it turns out that the story was the thing that gave birth to the need for both, Jenkins told Total Film. It wasn't that I thought I needed both. Cheetah was the villain that we, uh, that we were focusing on. Uh, having in this movie, but then Max Lloyd throughout the history of Wonder Woman comics, he serves a very mechanical purpose often. So there you go. And, I, and I, this came out today uh, as of that they recorded. And I'm sitting here like, it, you know, it's kind of funny that um, I said this on Twitter. If you've already seen this, apologize, but it's kind of funny that this necessarily needed a, a, an explanation when there are other films, other superhero films specifically, just cram in uh, super villains for no reason at all i was about to say this is like a spider-man 3 thing that's what everyone's worried about right but i mean but this is a a little more benign than like say x-men or spider-man or even like um um, batman movies because like like why what was the need to have like what was the need to have scarecrow in there for no reason in in the in the dark knight movies like Oh, you just, mean Batman Begins? Yeah, like he, but he's, but he showed up in a, in at least one of the other two. So it was like, what was even the point? Like they didn't even do anything with him. They could have given his own his own um his own movie, or any eh. number of times they could have done that in superheroes movies. But that was my point. It's like, okay, just focus on a, a villain, you know, and and get more movies out of it. But then again, they probably would have screwed that up somehow away anyway. This one, you know, this one seems relatively benign anyway next up all right um what are we up to buffy the vampire slayer dolly parton was secretly a producer okay so this is regarding the um the movie and the show actually Oh, and the show. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's good. It was. Re- it recently came to light that none other than country music star Dolly Parton, Parton had a hand in bringing the horror comedy franchise to life. Good. Yeah, the the TLDR is that her production company uh, is one of the ones that were behind the movie, and the movie didn't really do all that good, but also ended up being behind the show and produced uh, helped produce the episodes of the show. So technically, Tyler Parton, you have Tyler Parton to thank for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Yeah. Um, next up, Star Trek's uh, Jonathan Frakes wants a cameo on The Orville. Uh, Sex and sci-fi comedy The Orville owes a great deal to Star Trek The Next Generation. That's 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 not even a light joke. Um, as its characters and concepts take a great amount of influence from the beloved Star Trek spinoff. 
Now, one Next Generation alum has expressed his wish to join the show in an on-screen capacity as opposed to off-screen, who directed an an episode. Uh, Actor Jonathan Frakes, who portrayed Riker, y'all know this, um, who has also directed uh, an an episode of The Orville and, of course, Star Trek Picard, recently spoke to comicbook.com regarding his desire to appear in the third season of the Seth MacFarlane comedy series. I keep waiting on a phone call, Frakes said. I'm available. I got a beard. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, The actor continued, I would just like to be, comma, just like I hoped and dreamed of being on The Big Bang Theory. Uh, There's certain things, the absurdity factor, like the pest dispensers and the garden gnomes, certain benchmarks we all want to reach. And he also goes on to praise the Orville for Mafala and the, the Orville for the love letter to TNG. So, yay. I guess. Okay. Next. All right. So uh, next up. Uh, oh, wonderful. Watch the stars <laughs> of Doctor Who spend time together remotely. Who? Um, so in the UK, the BBC and charities Comic Relief and Children in Need hosted a special fundraising event called the Big Night Inn to raise money for UK healthcare workers currently on the front lines of the country's response to the coronavirus pandemic. So, of course, some doctors of an altogether different sort showed up too. Uh, Doctor Who has a long history of association with comic relief and children in needs, charitable efforts, frequently creating special shorts and dropping trailers as part of telethon broadcasts. Yes. Okay. Do not send Daleks to uh, Agent 70's house uh, over that the comment he made, please. Thank you very much. Not all of everyone can Ooh. be in <laughs> Which that's that actually works out though. Um, actually, let me see. I think this is. Wait, was this still? Add it again, 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 again. I want to make sure that we are. Oh no, no, we're still good. Yep. Um, ignore those. The latest Doctor Who short finds the Doctor in a moment of quiet mercy. Um, so yeah. Uh, the long story short is that there is a short that I think is going to end up on Doctor Who's quarantine channel. I guess that's a YouTube channel. I'm not even sure. Yes, it is. Uh, with this, a story written by Paul Cornell and read by Lauren Wilson. Uh, the story is about Lucy Cartwright and takes place after uh, Human Nature and the Family of Blood, two episodes from David Tennant's run as the 10th Doctor. They share what ended up happening or what will happen, time, etc., to a member of the Family of Blood, and it's gorgeous. So, yeah. Uh, and, and like I said, it's about Lucy Cartwright, the daughter of the family. If you know those two, uh, two um, episodes and what they're, what they're talking about here, you can uh, have at that when that uh, comes out whenever it comes out if it's not already out at the time of this recording okay next all right so apparently universal pictures which is in the news um uh-huh. if you know uh the next story up is actually uh going to address what i was just referring to but universal pictures and the lego group have sealed an exclusive five-year deal to develop produce and uh distribute 
theatrical releases based on its intellectual property and original ideas. Universal announced Thursday. Lego has previously made their movies at Warner Brothers, including the Lego Batman movie. According to Deadline, the original two Lego movies, Lego Batman movie and the Lego Ninjago movie, all remain in the Warner Brothers library. So, um... Apparently, that could include Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Minions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, which means that would be pretty funny to introduce, you know, like uh, that'd be a way to introduce Fast and Furious to the kids that really aren't old enough to watch the movies. Well, they also have that Spy Racers movie, uh, Spy Racers thing on Netflix. That's true. But you're right. But also, this could open the door to potential, like, Lego Fast and Furious um, game, or at least being in, in the video games also, I would imagine. Right. So, and in addition to being whatever other Lego movie that will come up. <laughs> so, yeah, um, going on to uh, the story that um, that Age of 70 just alluded to. AMC theaters and Regal uh, refuse to play Universal movies once theaters reopen. Uh, Cineworld, the parent company of theater chain Regal Entertainment, has joined AMC theaters in banning Universal movies once cinemas reopen. Uh, quote unquote, today we make it clear again that we will not be showing movies that fail to respect the windows as it does not make any economic sense for us. Cinemaworld Cinema said in a statement via Variety. And the original story was that, yeah, AMC said that they weren't going to show any Universal pictures uh, since, you know, since this whole thing happened and when things open back up. So that's they're already losing um, proposition because, from what I understand, they're already losing money from one, uh, things going on, two, their movie pass thing not necessarily taking off and, you know, just in general. So, I don't know. Now, I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, we know some of the bigger franchises like Fast and Furious and whatnot that are few and Trolls, because it basically this all stems from the fact that Trolls did well uh, on VOD, uh, or at least let me phrase that came after the fact that it was found out that uh, Trolls did well on VOD, and then AMC happens to come out with the statement, and yeah. There you go. In fact, it says so in that article. So, yeah, that's that's going to be crazy. Next uh, article. Uh, so Universal Studios responds to AMC's theater ban. And uh, they said nanny nanny poo poo were making money, apparently. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't be surprised if that was an underlying um, term of whatever yeah, they said. But yeah, that, I was about to say that's probably you know the uh, the the uh, what call it the, um, the 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 sentiment mm-hmm. <laughs> of the statement without going through the statement. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, it's it's a thing. I'm sure somewhere also in the back, Netflix is like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is rubbing their hands gleefully. Well, um, Netflix is not really doing the distribution on this. This is through Amazon. This is through Voodoo. This is through Apple. I'm aware, so, but that doesn't right. necessarily say it doesn't open the door for them to take up some of the stuff. Like, hey, Universal, if you want to put your stuff out, some more of your stuff out over here and, you know. Understood. You know, hook us up. We got you. Like, And that's not a thing that has actually happened. I'm just saying that's a potential. Right. So, 
But yeah, that's a whole thing, y'all. I'm pretty sure we won't hear the last of that or something similar to that. Uh, Joe Russo gives updates on Battle of the Planets, Magic the Gathering, and Grimjack. Um, two of those I'm slightly excited for. One of those I have no idea. Uh, Joe Russo, co-director and producer of Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame with his brother Anthony, recently shared some updates on a few of the highly anticipated projects they are currently have in uh, development at uh, AGBO. Uh, or Agbro, I don't know. Uh, speaking with Collider, Steve Weintraub, and an explosive. Oh, right. They did. Wait, did they do that extraction movie? That makes total sense. Yeah, extraction. Yeah, right. with uh, Chris Hemsworth. With Chris Hemsworth. They didn't do. They. I think they just produced that. They didn't. You know, have like uh, um, a hands-on sure direction. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that makes a whole, 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 whole lot more sense. Okay. Um, Russo te- teased some details about the current status of their live-action adaptation of the 1977 animated series Battle of the Planets, a.k.a. Science Ninja Team uh, Gotcha Man in, in Japan, and as well as an animated series based on Magic the Gathering for Netflix and a series of ad- a series adaptation of Grimjack for Amazon. Uh, quote unquote, it's not going to be a direct adaptation of the series. Russo said of Battle of the Planet is going to be, oh Lord, it's going to be our own story that we tell surrounding a group of genetically altered kids who are involved in a space war. That, that one's take- just going to be tough to redo. That's the thing. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, I kind of don't blame them for trying to take it in a more original direction, but still telling the yeah. right origin story. I hope. Oh, God, I hope. Uh, that could take months of gestating and also trying to figure out what the new mythology is. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we commit that to a Bible. And then from that Bible, we do some artwork as exploration. And once we have artwork that uh, that we're inspired by, then we commit to a script. So we're in the Bible phase for Battle of the Planet, which means this ain't coming out no time soon. More than right. It's going to be a while. Mm-hmm. But if they... And, I, you know what we already talked about. We don't need to go about that because they're using Battle of the Plans denote they're using the Americanized version that has that stupid robot in it and not the original, not fully Seven Sark Seven. Yeah. Everybody anyway. loves the little robots. It's basically their R two D two. We know this. Look at the time. Yeah, it was still annoying, but we we dealt with it because that's what we had. But. Yeah. Then we come to find out, Science Ninja Team Gotcha Man, aka G Force, was you know had a different uh, um, adaptation that was better and less robot-y. But anyway, that's true. So, and by the way, hey, it's out there on DVD and Blu-ray, so you can go check that stuff for yeah yourself. Um. Anyway, next story. Uh, are we done with cinema? Oh, we are actually done with the cinematic news. So therefore, we Yay! go into the comic book news. All right, we can transition. Tom Baker and Louise Jameson recorded a brand new Doctor Who adventure entirely during lockdown. As you can see, Tom Baker there looking gleefully mad. Um, guys, wait, 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 wait. basically, Big Finished, who does a lot of the audio recordings, uh, I guess, I think for the Doctor Who uh, and probably other places also. Um, the way Big Finish's audio recordings are usually set up means that transitioning that the transition to working remotely for the company has oh has not been too much of a problem. It's regularly, currently, primarily digital release of more good adventures in time and space than you can shake a particular sonic stick at has continued uh, relatively unabated. But the latest release in the fourth uh, fourth Doctor Adventures line, Rob Valentine's Shadow of the Sun, marks a special occasion. 
Uh, it's the first of the company's audio dramas recorded entirely since its move to remote working when the U- UK went into government-mandated lockdown orders on March 27th. So, cool. Yeah, so they basically batted out a, um, an audio an, an, uh, audio story, you know, like they've been doing. <laughs> um, set aboard a futuristic luxury liner, Shadows of, Shadow of the Sun sees Baker's fourth doctor and his companion Leela. Louise Jameson and K9, yay K9, speaking of good doggos, uh, investigate the strange goings on of disappearing guests and a navigation of a navigation course set in to bring the ship and the passengers to an unavoidable doom, which if that doesn't sound familiar to uh, Doctor Who fans, I don't know what is. Um, there's a bit of a problem though. None of the passengers seem to mind. So yeah, if you want to go check that out, that should be out there on May 12th. For your perusings. Next up. All right. Doctor Who puts David Tennant, Paul McGann, and Christopher Eccleston in a new kind of time war. So the BBC has officially unveiled a new transmedia initiative stretching across multiple mediums, including audio, novels, comics, vinyl, digital, immersive theater, escape rooms, and games called Time Lord Victorious, which will see Paul McGann, David Tennant, and Christopher Eccleston's incarnations of the Doctor united alongside Billy Piper's Rose Tyler to face an unknown threat from the dawn of time itself. Okay. Yeah, so that would be 10, 8, and 9 for those keeping track. And Bingo! And and the companion for the 9th and the 10th. So, yeah. Yeah, Paul McGann needed more actual, more actual stories anyway for the 8th Doctor who only got a movie. But that's a whole other story. Uh, yeah, that was the thing. You can go check that out when that comes out. Uh, January 2021, I guess, looks like. Yep. Tank Girl finds a new home with Goon's creator, Albatross Funny Books. Uh, Albatross Funny Books owner Eric Powell has confirmed the comic book character Tank Girl has a new home at his United States-based publisher. Uh, the Australian Outlaws Tales now, now the likes of such... Now the likes of such comics as The Goon, Hillbilly, and Grumble. Sorry, folks. Um... That says uh, Adam Martin and Brett Parson has been doing some amazing Tank World stuff lately, and Brett just did a run of the Goon for us, and I'm a few uh, huge fan of his artwork. And they kind of approached me like, "Hey, we're looking for another home for Tank Girl. Would you be interested?" And obviously, he said yes. So, go, cool. yay to for all those Tank Girl fans. Next, all right, so. Uh... All right. Uh, Sci-fi fantasy anthology Heavy Metal is embracing the trend of uh, um, cloth, producing uh, cloth face masks, and it's put out its own face mask bearing the magazine's logo and Tama, the iconic hero of the animated heavy metal film. The mask is available through Threadless, who will donate 100% of the proceeds up to $100,000 to MedShare, a charity which provides personal protective equipment, otherwise known as PPE, to medical professionals fighting the coronavirus pandemic. So um, there's actually news i don't know if you have it in here that Di- that disney is um doing the same thing or something no. similar no, i don't no. know if it's the same charity but they just announced that they're doing like um disney marvel and star wars related uh face masks as well okay they're up for uh, order right now 
Okay, cool. It is worth noted that these masks and probably more likely those Disney ones are not uh, rated in 95. Yeah, um, of course not. They're cloth. Right. They're just basically cloth. And yeah, so, so, so that is something you might want to know going into this. Uh, N95 is basically a big joint that keeps every, keeps a lot of things out. So, you know. Anyway, next up. Uh, in this exclusive peek at uh, Nettie Okorafor's remote control, a magical team flexes her terrifying powers. Uh, you may know Nettie Okorafor for her um, Shuri series. Uh, but she's also a Nebula and Hugo Award winner who pins sci fi and fantasy tales uh, both for both YA and young adult readers. Um, and apparently, um, Gizmodo has a, um, an excerpt from her and a summary from her new book, uh, new novella, Remote Control, which is, um, a vivid slice of a core for signature Afrofuturism storytelling, followed by the reveal of a full cover and the, and a thrilling excerpt. So you can see the cover there. I won't go into the excerpt, but it sounds good from what I've read. And you can go check that out on in the show notes notes. Next. Uh, Folio Society recently released a special collector's edition of Pierre Boulle's semi-satirical novel Planet of the Apes, originally La Planète des Songs, uh, uh, Buell's. Gosh, what's up with the spelling? Buell's sci-fi story posited a parallel world where apes and monkeys had evolved faster than humans, which forced humanity into a place of servitude by the intellectually and technologically superior apes. So um, it's the new edition is filled with uh, beautiful illustrations which portray the planet of the apes in a whole new way. Mm. And if you're watching the video, you can see a couple of shots from said, um, from said illustrations. So... Get a glimpse at Star Wars Rebels ships, tech, and shiny lightsabers in this gorgeous art book. So there is the uh, Star Wars Rebels was a stepping stone between the work done and still being done by Clone Wars and the end of the prequels and bridging the gap to the status made iconic by the original Star Wars. Rebels had a walker line between two totally different worlds by bringing its own flair to the table. Uh, and I don't um, originally planned to launch early your early next month, but now rolling out today in a surprise move. Uh, at, uh, this is from the 24th. So, at, so yeah. Um, the Dan Wallace's the art of star Wars rebels published by dark horse provides a definitive look back on the concept work and design process that went into making the Lucasfilm animation show come to life. Um, so yeah, you can go check that out if you're a fan of Rebels or you probably already bought it by now because you knew this was already coming out. Next. Marvel fans will be able to feast on foods inspired by their favorite characters. Inside Editions, the publisher behind Destiny, the official cookbook, is publishing a Marvel Eat the Universe cookbook. The book is named after the popular YouTube video series hosted by celebrity chef Justin Warner, who also wrote the cookbook. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, recipes include Nova's Donuts... Of course, Chimichanga from Deadpool and a bunch of other stuff. So you can go check that out whenever. Oh, it's on available pre-order and will go on sale July 28th if you're interested. Wu-Tang is for the kids, for the children's, but also Wu-Tang's method, uh, Wu-Tang Clan's Method Man loves them some Marvel um, because he cosplayed as uh, X-Men's Bishop. 
um, yeah, it is long since noted that uh, the various members of the, the Wu-Tang Clan or, or comic books, actually, also slash uh, Marvel fans. Hip-hop artist Method Man, best, perhaps best known for his work with the influence rap group, Wu-Tang Clan recently suited up as one of Marvel Comics' X-Men, sharing cosplay photos of himself as the future is futuristic mutant known as Bishop. Uh, this was on uh, Instagram, Method Man's Instagram page. And uh, if you're watching the video, you can see his version of um, Bishop uh, on the the um, on the video. If you haven't already seen it from his uh, Instagram account, because you know y'all, a bunch of y'all have followed him. Next, all righty, uh, Spider versus Spider Gwen comes to life as a Hot Toys figure. This particular figure also comes with a spider ham. So this is directly influenced by the uh, design of the Spider-Gwen character in the Spider-Verse movie, which means that her hair is um, shorn a specific way, not necessarily the way that you would see her in the comics, but definitely how you see her in the Spider-Verse movie. Yeah, and uh, you can see various pictures from that right there. Uh, from the Facebook page, God of War artist reveals incredible Batman character designs. So Santa Monica Studios' Raph Grissetti uh, compiles 16 very impressive uh, drawings of from Batman the Anime Series in his own style. Um, you could see this stuff on Instagram because for some strange reason it is not showing on the video. But uh, Grissetti is a... Um, it's a, 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 you know, he basically has worked on God of War and a bunch of other stuff for Sony, um, for Sony Santa Monica. So that should give you some of his pedigree right there. He also did some other stuff. We're going to go into it next. All right. So following up on some recent news, um, Diamond Comics Distributors has begun taking orders for DC products again in anticipation of the resumption of distribution in mid to late May. But according to Diamond, there's still no firm date when actual distribution will resume. So Diamond is still working towards that mid to late May resumption of weekly comic distribution, but numerous factors will affect the actual date we are able to deliver our first weekly shipment. Diamond told Newsarama uh, this past weekend. So this this uh, this is a still a fluid situation, ladies and gentlemen. Please stay on top of social media and comic book news sites and our podcast to uh, stay abreast of when we'll be getting our la- our latest fix of weekly comics. I can add as a footnote that I just got word. And just paid off my books that were um, that I was not able to receive because New York State went into quarantine. Um, so I will be picking them up this weekend. So I will be good through March 25th because the books on the 25th were already, you know, we were already under lockdown. Mm, so, so I'll be picking that up uh, over the weekend. Nice. DC announces more comic releases in May. Uh, DC Comics returned to store shelves physically and digitally this week. Uh, the publisher is pulling back the carton for what we'll be seeing on shelves on May 19th and 26th consecutively. Uh, it's, a, it's new comics as well as collections and will be available 
physically and digitally. There is a list here that I will not go through, but it is worth noting that both of the dates in question are Tuesdays and not Wednesdays. So, all right, there you go. Uh, Jim Lee and 99 more artists draw the Dark Knight for Hero Initiative's Batman 100 project. So, um, this is not the, uh, the Bink charity stuff that he's doing online for auction, but this is, um, something else for the Hero Initiative. Yeah. Uh, I think this is, this was also going along uh, aside with that Bing stuff because yeah, I think the, this Batman 100 project was like I may have started around the same time if not afterwards something like that but so far you know yeah they're doing things uh, Black Canary's um, blah, blah, blah. Otto Schmidt art showcases DC heroes entire wardrobe so fishnecks and the black jacket and no, stop. Um, artist Otto Schmidt shared his rendering of all of DC hero Black Canary's outfits in one ambitious image on Twitter. Black Canary has worn a multitude out of outfits over the years in comics, as pictured in Schmidt's art. Uh, despite minor variations, the bodice, jacket, and boots have largely stayed same over the years. While her legs appear bare in the image, uh, Black Canary user usually wears fishnet tights. Uh, although these are nearly invisible in Smith's piece. Wow. Wow. And you can see uh, the piece in the video that the whole lineup of looks like, looks like the multiverse of black canaries here. Um, but yeah, you should check that out if you're a fan of uh, black canary. There you go. Boop. If you haven't already. Um, Archie comics reveals next wave of 80th anniversary digital exclusives. Uh, today, uh, Archie Comics begins its 80th anniversary celebration with the launch of its previously announced digital exclusive titles. As such, the New York-based uh, publisher has now revealed that comic readers can expect to get their hands on, so to speak, when the upcoming season, second wave arrives in May. Leading guitar for Archie's second wave of 80th anniversary digital exclusives are is um, Sabrina T.J. Twitch, who will star in a digital issue set for release on May 13th. Also arriving digitally on May 13th is an issue starring the private eye known as Sam Hill, um, as well as an artist spotlight issue celebrating the work of late uh, Archie Comics legend Harry Lucy. So there you go. Bunch of stuff from Ar- um, Archie and happy 80th to you folk. Uh, next up. All right, Attack on Titan, Parasite, Alita, Fairy Tale, and more manga have been added to the Nintendo Switch app. So uh, this is using Inky Pen, the all-you-can-read comic subscription service on Nintendo Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've still yet to, to check that out, but I hear very little about it. Last but not least, um, which I, I probably should have given this one to you, but never mind. Never mind. Bad Boys franchise gets hilarious comic book treatment. And I don't know why they keep using that word like that, but oh God, use new words, please. Um, animator Luigi Lacarelli collaborated with Sony Pictures to draw several moments from the Bad Boys film franchise in comic book form. Uh, quote unquote, I had a wonderful opportunity to work with Sony Pictures on these 10 illustrations to celebrate uh, 25 years of Bad Boys. Lucarelli wrote on Twitter, 
Uh, it's such a blast working on these, and I hope I did these iconic moments justice. And you can see some um, examples of what he did on the Twitters uh, on the video, and you can go check that out on his um, on his Twitter page, which I'm sure they're still out there. So cool. And that, folks, is it for the news. We will get into an ad read before we go into our topic. All right. So as I wait for this to load, our first ad read of the night is for Funko Fun at First Sight. Your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise such as custom DIY pop figures, art books, and skateboards. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko to place your first order with 10% off and to help keep our show free for you. Go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the keep our podcasts free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code shop 10 for your 10% off discount. Funko. Through cspn.us, do it today. Kaching. And now, folks, we get into the main event. Well, actually, we get into the prologue to the main events because yeah, this we week, are definitely in the lead up. Yes, we are going to be. So we said last week we were going to be talking about the Marvel Comics nineteen. Oh Lord, what year was this? Um, two thousand six. Lord. You know, I would think I would have had that. Um, let's say 2005. I believe it started in 2005. Um, anyway, the prologue in the miniseries that led up to the events known as in Annihilation. Um, and we got a nice little order going on here. So we're just going to bat them down and out. Um, I don't know if you had anything to say before we get into this. I just wanted to mention the fact that I had been uh, stressing to Roddy Cat that he really needed to catch up on reading his Marvel Cosmic and that he should start with this event because it really lays the groundwork for much of Marvel Cosmic as we know it today. Um, you know, we've already done Kree Scroll War, which came out in the in the 70s in, in 1971 and is still reverberating within the Marvel Universe until today. And now we have uh, this Annihilation event, which really set the stage for how several characters have come to uh, uh, take center stage in Marvel Comics, uh, in, in Marvel uh, Space Comics recently. So... A lot of the the changes to some older characters took place within the pages of this event, and uh, you know the, uh, how we see them today essentially came out of this event. So it's a pretty seminal moment in uh, Marvel Comics, and also bear in mind that this was occurring parallel to Civil War, and it definitely had a different feel. It gave another corner of the Marvel universe some shine while civil war was going on. Yeah. 
Um, it is also worth noting before we get into this is that so if you are on Marvel Unlimited, there is one miniseries that is not grouped with the rest of the prologue stuff, right, with the yeah, with the with the rest of the prologue stuff, and the prologue itself is is um is um called a core issue, and it kind of is. But nevertheless, we will be talking about it here, and the, the issue I'm talking about is the lead off miniseries uh, to the event. Well, to this whole shebang is uh, Drax the Destroyer. This is an important one because it really uh, sets the stage for the change to the character. Because prior to this, Drax the Destroyer was, uh, and and they mentioned this in the actual series, a lot taller and a lot dumber um, and a lot uh, more evil, um, you know, during like the Infinity Watch. Right. Uh, you know, an infinity uh, gauntlet, an infinity war, an infinity whatever the hell the other infinity was. Um, uh, I forget what that third one was. God, that was the third one. Uh, yeah, you got me on that one. Jeez, but, but I'm never, look it up now. But anyway, yeah, but, but yeah, so you know, the change in the character takes place in this mini. And what's funny about it is, I had not actually read this mini before, so it was very enlightening to me. And I have, because I, I think I'm fairly certain we, right around the time Guardians of the Galaxy, the movie came out, either somewhere before that or somewhere after that, made me read this um, this particular limited series, miniseries. So there you go there. In fact, I'm just going to put this up right there. That is from uh, Marvel Unlimited. Um as we get into the particulars and really like we're going to pretty much just go over the particulars of the whole uh, miniseries, like what kind of the, the, the big point, hopefully of what happened in the series and not, you know, so, so we can kind of cut down some stuff, but, um, and of course I did not have my notes for that, but nevertheless, it starts off with Drax, uh, on a, a prison ship, uh, with him, the lunatic, not the lunatic, the blood brothers, and Pybok land, they crash land on earth um, and some podunk town in Alaska. And, and I will, before I go any further, this miniseries also introduces the, probably one of the most annoying Marvel characters that I, that I uh, don't care that much for. And that's saying something cause I don't like Quentin choir. Uh, anyway, and it is noted here on the the, the synopsis page is is uh, annihilation day minus forty. I don't know how that reads, so I might want us to stop doing that one um, until we get to the actual day. So, Cammy, the person that I was just talking about, discovers the ship the, the ship that was wrecked, and um, oh wait, this is really going through the brief points. So yeah, so. Drax comes up. He's the the slow dumb one of it, and Pybok and Ember's talking uh, about how he had drunk some plasma runoff, basically some waste runoff uh, during their travels or whatnot, and that kind of plays into what happens in this transformation later on. Uh, they crash land on Earth. Pybok's trying to find a way off, and so are the Blood Brothers and this other lunatic person. They go, they run into this town and try to um, recruit the townsfolk to do that with you know using some slave labor. Um, Drax gets into a fight a couple of good times in, in the course of this. Um, and we find out that he gets smarter, you know, unlike the Hulk who gets, you know, more stronger, he gets smarter, uh, as he fights because of something that happened to him previously before this issue, before this, uh, series. 
anyway, during one of the one of the fights, uh, Pybot kills uh, kills Drax. Uh, the girl Cammy says, "Hey, can I have this body?" And Pybot's like, "Yeah, whatever." Takes the body off. The body starts smoking, and then out comes pops new new Drax like a uh, like a butterfly uh, from a cocoon from his old body and with his mind intact. And, you know, he has a little disorientation. He's still Arthur Douglas, mind you, uh, in a sense, but, you know, cause that kind of gets, that also gets told, but apparently because of what Pybok told this Cammy chick, uh, Cammy believes that, that she owns Drax because she doesn't have a life and she's trying to get away from this place. And she's like, well, let just take me with you wherever I don't care. And you owe me, you, you know, I own you, you owe me this kind of stuff. So, um, Drax takes down the Blood Brothers, uh, basically deals with uh, Pybok, uh, and they have a fight. But then it was like, okay, you know what? We all we we just want to get off this mud ball, so you know, let's work together. They Pybok had this um, uh, this emergency beacon on his person that he calls, and a prison ship comes for them at the end of the series, and they all get whisked away to. Prologue, uh, Annihilation Prologue. Right. So um, what we have is, you know, and I want to note that, uh, you know, the reason why they have this minus and plus day thing is that it's very much um, a a way to help uh, readers keep track of where we are in relation to the one big event called Annihilation Day. Uh, It's also meant to evoke uh, some of... um, uh, some historical, you know, at least uh, uh, evoke a context of uh, uh, a historical background when it comes to how people keep journals. You know, uh, think about what people are doing with the, the current quarantine, you know, day 25 of, of, of their personal quarantine and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so we've so this is something we've seen in other comic book events also, uh, notably like 52 and some other places, but uh, well, maybe not 52, but regardless, in other places. Right. So, um, <clears throat> ultimatum. Yeah. What's that? Ultimatum. I think they had a similar, like ultimatum plus this or plus that minus that kind of situation going on. All right. Well, anyway, so in the lead up to annihilation day, we have, uh, a, a short bit where, uh, Thanos, who is not the powerhouse character that we are familiar with, uh, he's not the character that we um, last that that we remember from the Infinity Gauntlet series, but he's still uh, clever, smart, sneaky, and scheming. So uh, he arrives at the kiln and retrieves this character named Screet and the Fallen One, uh, convincing the Fallen One to serve him. He then waits nearby with Death, who informs him that someone who serves her even better than Thanos will arrive soon, and we get to Annihilation Day. Yeah, so the Annihilation Wave hits, which is day zero. Um, people at the crunch die, and um, there was some folk begging for us, trying to do a prayer while this, uh, this is happening. Cut to four days later, um, a day. I'm just going to start calling it a day plus whatever number. Um, a day plus four. The Nova Corps assembled on Xandar. Uh, it just so happens at the same time, Drax and Cammy end up on Xandar because of, from the prison ship that they were on. Um, but they get let go because of a techni- technicality, aka the DNA scanner couldn't 
recognize that this Drax is the same Drax that was previously on a tear all over the galaxy. So they had to let him go because they didn't know if it was actually him or not, but they were watching him. Um, the annihilation wave hits Xandar as the Nova Corps was being, you know, was being led abreast to um, what's going on in other places because of the annihilation wave. And um, Richard Ryder, um, you know, tr- basically tries to help fight fight everything else, but he ends up being the last one alive. Um, he is definitely the last Nova Corps alive, but he at the time he thinks he's the last person on Xandar Xandar to be alive. But we find right. out uh, in but we find out in the next minute uh, uh, miniseries that that is not the case. Right. So we have crossed over from the Dra- the Drax miniseries into the Nova miniseries uh, in terms of the reading order. Mm-hmm. So um, but we're going to continue with prologue until until, you know, because there is some right. things that still kind of come out and then, then we'll go into the Nova one. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Um, all right. So we already mentioned that the core was slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um so what happens is that Richard Ryder searches for other core survivors, but only discovers the world mind. So what the world mind is, is very similar to the Cree Supreme Intelligence in that it contains the entirety of the Xandar culture. But what it also uh, contains, unlike the Supreme Intelligence, is that it contains the entire the entirety of the Nova Force, the power that power that the that in in small doses uh powers the various uh members of the nova Corps, the nova corpsmen the nova centurions and whatnot Think so lander powering power uh battery right right and essentially world mind asked rich asks richard Ryder to uh take on the burden of personally uh, storing the entirety of the Nova Force and the World Mind within his body, um, and it's a huge, and it turns out to be a, a huge burden to bear that uh, takes Richard several issues to really get a hold of. Yeah, he basically gets shook because of the fact that you know, you know, his first use of the power was a little bit too much, and he was losing control, and he, you know, he was scared because of that. Which kind of comes out during the course of. Well, he kind of. Pull, I was about to. Say, he kind of pulls a Captain Marvel on several ships. Yes. You know, when I say Captain Marvel, I'm referring to the MCU Captain Marvel, which she's also done in books at various time. But yeah, you're absolutely right. She, she basically just plows a whole bunch. I mean, he basically just basically plows a whole bunch of ships, just just all willing it. Which is not the first time this happens during the course of this event. Right. I mean, he's he's literally killing. Obviously, these are. Uh, bugs from the negative zone but if you think about uh you know maybe not several death stars but we're talking about a couple of major capital ships getting wiped out all in one fell swoop it's funny you should mention that because there is definitely a star wars uh, star wars parallel that uh happens during the course of uh, a a a couple of these things even of course Um, I mean, excuse me, even uh, Battlestar Galactica, but if you've noticed that. Well, that I don't notice because I am not familiar at all with Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yes. I think we'll get to that because I think I have it in my nose. Okay. um, So where are we? Oh, yeah. So, um, so, yeah. 
the court case is tight. They get they they get killed. This happens. Um, Nova runs across um, uh, 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 Drax and Cammy, who were still on Xandar, and they still happen to be alive because they were they were in a, an escape pod, but it ended up crashing back to to, to the planet. Uh, they basically escape Xandar using, uh, you know, Nova's newfound newfound par- uh, powers uh, and abilities to be able to open up a Stargate. Um, and they pop to somewhere different. Uh, meanwhile, <clears throat> uh, Ronan the Accuser gets arrested in Kree Skull, Skrull Place and put on trial. Uh, as we find out, that is um, a day plus twelve. A day plus fifteen. The Silver Surfer is in the Verge system, and he basically feels the A wave, uh, the annihilation wave coming. Uh, we also see the Super Scroll uh, on the, uh, invisible in a Scree Starbase, uh, kind of skulking around there for some odd reason. Um, oh yeah, and Roland's being court martialed by the way, so that's a whole that that thing to come into play later. Um, also, Annihilus appears in the Verge system somewhere else with his declar- declaration that all is his and his will is all, basically. Um, and I believe that is when we go into the Nova miniseries. Um, well, a lot of, I was about to say, a lot of this stuff happens parallel to each other. It's right. not necessarily sequential. Right. So, um, I'm going off of our 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 cliff notes mm-hmm. so um well see so yeah and this the in the and the 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 cliff notes walkthrough kind of goes so this is going into silver surfer so you know what you know what <clears throat> let's just go with that because realistically because it kind of makes sense i mean i think the the time frame of the silver surfer is kind of slightly it is definitely parallel to what's going on in Nova, but you know, is it is what it is. But Nova, as far as the annihilation time frame, is, is kind of whatever it is. So, um, let me see. There was a folks. Sorry about this. We we had to run an audible at the last minute, also from from some of this. So it's a little, it's a little skewed. Um, so. Silver Surfer um, arrives in Scroll territory, finds it decimated. Um, oh wait, let me back up a second. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I was about to say. Just bear in mind that most of the prologue stuff is actually pre-annihilation day 100. Right. So we can kind of go up to uh, pretty much day uh, annihilation day plus 100, give or take. Um, right. You know, maybe a little bit more to like 180, but at the end of the day, um, the main events of the Annihilation uh, miniseries start at 204. Right. So we can basically just kind of uh, pick and choose some of the events to discuss. So let me just go. uh, Yeah, let me just go off of of this thing. Let me see. Does a. Yeah, Ronan gets taken to Krieg Empire for court martial. Super Scroll is in the thing that was said. Nihilus uh, begins to begins his attempts to take the power cosmic from sending his seekers, including their Levador Ravenous. This is basically from the Silver Surfer mini, as we find out. Um, so I'm kind of skipping around uh, mm-hmm. after the Heralds of, Atl- of of Galactus. So we find out. We also find out 
that um, Airwalker, who is a, a, a herald I didn't know that know that much about, is from Xandar. And that right. comes into play in a second because the Seekers and the Ravenous assault the, um, the android until the Silver Surfer arrives, uh, defeating Ravenous and the Seekers, but failing to save Airwalkers. The uh, Airwalker, and basically Airwalker tells the Silver Surfer that he must combat the wave. But in the course of this, also happens that we find out that um, Alanis is looking for the Herald so that he can get more power. We find this the power bar later, but we find out that the Alanis is looking for and trying to capture the Herald of Galactus. Uh, this is why he was after Airwalker, who just happens to be on Xandar. And also, we find out that. The reason why Xandar was attacked was because they were trying to get bring uh, Airwalker out so they could capture him. So the Nova Corps just happens to be uh, collateral damage, basically. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Tarek the Tamer is captured by Analysis Seekers. Um, um, and there's some other stuff that's kind of missing that low points that, you know, that I'll try to, that I'll try to put in, but this is like the broad strokes. Um, server server arrives in scroll territory, finds it decimated. However, one debris feels he finds a single survival scroll named Tark, uh, Maru. He attempts to take Maru to safety. The server is attacked by the seekers. Uh, and then um, during the course of a battle between Silver Surfer and the Seekers, in which he finds out the the you know their their wink link to the Seekers, because basically the Seekers are um, uh, analysis huntsmen, and they're they're um, that they're, they're the ones that are going out. They're like um, there's a mutant uh, one that a uh, mutant uh, parallel that I'm trying to think of, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but they have themselves a set of what almost looks like werewolves and they are bound to those by the power of cosmic and mm-hmm. silver surfer found out that no, you break that link to the, to these, uh, werewolves slash things and their owners, then, you know, they're easier to manage. Basically they can get easily taken out. Um, but fire Lord and red shift, which is another herald that I didn't know anything about, uh, end up coming during the course of the fat during the course of uh, the battle, and you know, happen upon this information that the the surfer so generously provided them. They turn the tide, and they and they all decide to like um, team up. Uh, Thanos finally meets Annihilus, creating an alliance, which brings us to Annihilation Day plus twenty, where we find out. Um, uh, Tenebrius and Aegeus, two primordial gods, were in the kiln, which was the first thing destroyed. Right. Uh, but because of the annihilation wave, they've been uh, released, uh, and they have um, and they have uh, a vendetta against uh, Galactus, who was also who I guess is also amongst. I don't know if he's a primordial god, but he was basically one of the three that of the same type of celestial beings, let's just say. Um, but they prepared to seek their vengeance against Galactus. The two discover the fallen one, retrieving the maker's body. Um, weirdly, weird note here that um, when Thanos sent the fallen one to look for, he sent the, 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 um, the fallen one to look for the Beyonder's essence. And yes, it is, as far as I know, it is that Beyonder from the Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. But, but he made it sound like he was looking for this ageist person. So just put, putting that in there. Anyway, um, Patrice, the maker's body, sensing that the power of Galactus on the, on the final one, 
uh, Aegis and Tenebra's in to begin to interrogate them. Uh, Seven Surfer, Redshift, and Fire Lord find a refugee fleet and put uh, Tark Maru on it for safety. Stardust, the the then current uh, um, herald Herald. of Galactus, comes seeking the Silver Surfer because Galactus basically wants, uh, requests the services of the Silver Surfer. At the same time, I guess this lets Stardust out of his heralding duties from what we come to find out during the the conversation between Surfer and Mm -hmm. Galactus. Um, But Anyway, uh, Stardust remains with the other heralds to assist in their assaults against the wave. Annihilus informs Thanos of his attempts to gain power, the power cosmic, uh, which is all, which is being called co- uh, cosmic power throughout this whole thing for some reason. Um, or in the comic book, rather. Failing to gain it before the death of Morg, uh, Thanos, curious as to what uh, Annihilus is doing, agrees to assist him. Which leads us to uh, A Day Plus 21. Right. So Galactus tells the surfer that uh, Aegis and Tenebris are a big deal and asks the surfer to again become his herald. The surfer actually agrees. And Galactus imbues him with the extra power that his current heralds wield. So um, Ravenous and the Seekers attack. Um, uh, The surfer devastates the Seekers and sends Ravenous back to Annihilus, demanding they return to the negative zone. So he uh, cleans up right there. Um, It was good. Right. Meanwhile. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Just just picture when Goku turns Super Super Saiyan for the first time and just just destroys, um, just destroys, uh, or or actually more parallel to Gohan when he turns Super Saiyan for the first time. It just decimates all of Cell's uh, little creatures. It's that badass. Anyway, continue. Sorry. I was, I was about to say, meanwhile, we step back into the Ronin uh, miniseries, <clears throat> and we find that Ronin has been uh, convicted of treason after testimony from Tana Nile, quote-unquote, reveals that Ronin has been in contact with a member of the Skrull Empire, Baroness Sabak. As punishment, Ronin is stripped of his accuser title. Uh... We uh, move forward to Annihilation Day plus 40, where Thanos meets Aegis and Tenebris, agreeing to help them find Galactus and enact their revenge. Yeah, this is back in Civil Server. Right. Uh, All right. So we have uh, the next day, an Annihilation Wave fleet led by Admiral Sallow attacks the Skrull world Axlo. Despite being led by the Super Skrull, the Skrull army station there is destroyed after the arrival of the Harvester of Sorrow. Okay. Yeah, this, now, this is when we start, to get, start getting into the Super Skrull, Annihilation Super Skrull miniseries. Got it. This is all stuff I haven't read. Yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah, that's why I was trying to... Uh, yeah, I don't know. At some point, it was like, we could have gone mini by mini, but it's probably better to go this way, just uh, chronologically. It's, you know, and, and I'll just point mm-hmm. out when, when things happen. Right. Um. So, yeah, Super Scroll uh, seeks the aid from Baroness uh, Sabak in attacking and destroying the Harvester, fearing that the weapon might be used against the uh, the planet Zaragnzana. And actually, I would, weirdly enough, I would say read the Civil Server miniseries because it's actually pretty interesting, even though... It's probably the least um, like there's stuff. There's a couple of things in there that that plays out for the the bigger picture of annihilation, but mostly for the most part, is pretty much super scrolls. 
you know, how I guess how he gets involved and little, you know, his own little thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so fearing that the weapon might be used on the planet Zagrazna, Zagrazna, where his son Sarnag lives, Sabak refuses. Uh, def- desperate to stop the harvester, the Super Scroll turns on his fellows, stealing an escape ship and being joined by um, a a seemingly kid scroll mechanic named Arkin. Um, a young scroll whose father served under the Super Scroll, and we will find out a little bit more about that later. Uh, Super Scroll and Arkane go to the planet Earth, convincing Reed Richards to send them to the Negative Zone so they can find out more information on the Harvester. This, again, this is still the Super Scroll miniseries. Uh, Super Scroll and Arkane capture a Negative Zone vessel. Uh, Super Scroll discovers members of the Annihilation Wave, destroying uh, destroying an army of and interrogating the last surviving member, then killing him when he learns who created the Harvester, a high-ranking wave scientist named um, Hawal. Um, Super Scroll and Arkin of, uh, arrive on the prison planet Toyed UX-73, where prisoners of the wave are used as slave labor, and the scientists of the wave develop new means of destruction. Uh, Super Scroll slaughters the forces of the prison and convinces the inmates to join him in destroying the Harvester. He also discovers, discovers Hawal, who he forces into developing a means to destroy the Harvester. Um... Arkin begins developing a portal that Super Scrolls forces can use to return to the positive matter universe. That thanks to uh, Reed Richards, who's, who gave them that. Uh, mm-hmm. Halal finish Hawal finishes the weapon needed to destroy the Harvester. Super Scrolls then kills him. And actually, this was not before Halal Hawal was like, "I don't have any reason to help you because you know after I finish this, you're going to kill me anyway." So what's the point of me even doing the work? And Super Scroll just so happens to find some invention that Hawal did to, let's say, coerce him into doing said, um, making said uh, counter weapon. Um, yeah, Super Scroll reveals his fears concerning his son to Praxagora, who's one of the inmates who become one of his lieutenants, um, and also ends up falling in love with them. Side note, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the Super Scroll forces uh, return to the Paladin's Meta in the uh, universe and begin their assault on the Harvester, but are betrayed by Arkin, uh, and the Super Scroll's forces are captured. Um, Admiral Salo forces the Super Scroll to watch as the Harvester destroys Z- uh, Zaragna. So yeah, all that work went for basically nothing. Needless to say, Super Scroll is kind of pissed. Uh, Arkin reveals that he betrayed the Super Scroll because he holds him responsible for his father's death. Uh, Super Scroll hypnotizes Arkin into forcing him to release the Super Scroll and the rest of the uh, folks. Uh, Arkin then breaks out and flees. Uh, and uh, Praxagora and Preak, which is the other lieutenant he has, who's basically akin to a, a an alien version of, let's say, uh, Madrox. Mm. So if you hit him, he'll multiply. Um which came in handy when they were trying to build their fleet to 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 do this uh, to, to to do this thing. Anyway, they're like they're, they're like okay, look, you go. We'll hold off. The, we'll hold off the wave troops, and we'll sacrifice ourselves so that you can get away. Um, Super Scroll does that, but then he has a kind of a slight change when he talks to Arkan and finds out, you know, um, find out what's what. Um, Praxagora and the Super Scroll being way to back up that up. Scuba Troll chases after Arkane catching up to him and ripping off his limbs, leaving him to die, which was a funny moment. Uh, 
meanwhile, Preak is killed by the wave's forces, and uh, Prexagora readies to overload her internal process. And all the while, she's doing monologuing this whole internal monologuing this whole thing, uh, attempting to turn herself into a living bomb because she's an android. She comes from a race of uh, living androids. Um, because that's something you don't necessarily come out with these notes. But before she can destroy herself, Super Scroll arrives, absorbing her powers and uh, destroying the Harvester himself, and also kissing her in the process. You know, after destruction, Praxagora retrieves the inert body of the Super Scroll. Uh, the Annihilation Wave has destroyed the majority of the Cross Scroll Empire and its citizens, and are, are you know, yeah, and his citizens are slaughtered. So yeah, this is what we see. What happens to the um. The Scroll Empire, and I, I mean the Scroll Empire. And I'm trying to remember if that was actually in because basically, after after they save the Harvester, it cuts to like years, 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 years in the future. So that and that's what ends Super Scrolls miniseries. So this next thing about the uh, the, the Scroll Empire being um, decimated comes from somewhere else that I can't remember. Uh, anyway, next up. All right, so we jump to I guess the of to many of the events in the uh, Ronin miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, Ronin passes judgment on the Cree world Bwok, despite no longer having his accuser title. Ronin then learns from Tulik Ul Zin that Tana Nile is on the world Gothab Omega. Ronan arrives on Gothab Omega a little while later, discovering his old ally Korath, who. <laughs> among the residents <laughs> I was happy you 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 did that cuz yes so uh almost immediately the two are engaged in a brief battle with Stellaris and Nebula mhm that was pretty wild to see Nebula just kind of come out of nowhere in this in, in this issue oh and it gets um, better uh, who they discover are members of Gamora's Graces. Gamora's Graces have other warriors from across the universe revealed to have mysteriously gathered there, gathered there including Ceres, a Shi'ar warrior who we last saw in the pages of the X-Books, I believe. Okay. Uh, Excalibur? Probably. I want to say. I was wondering where that came. I didn't do the I didn't do the legwork for that one, but I was wondering where that one came from. But it's also noticed while we stop while we're here real quick. This is mm-hmm. not the Gamora you know from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies or even current or even the current version of um Guardians of, of Guardians of the Galaxy, the book. I mean it is, but it isn't. It's basically old school Gamora when she had the 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 bikini on and the and the cloak. Right. Um and you know, and, uh, so th- that is a thing that is worth noting in going into this, and a couple of other characters that you will we will uh, run across are vastly different from where they are in it right now. For the time right. being, this is what I was going to say. This is the start of the journey for m- several characters. Mm-hmm. So, so continue. All right, uh, where are we now? Ronan ha- has discovered his old ally. Um, Let's see here. As one of Annihilus's queens, Radica leads an assault on the Kree Empire. Ronan and Gamora meet in battle. Um, 
Soon after, the wave arrives and it's discovered that cosmic being Glorian has been shaping the world. Uh, this is one of those uh, shaper of, of worlds things. Um, the forces on Godfab Omega overcome the influence of Glorian and band together to defend themselves against the wave. Glorian eventually uses his power to destroy the wave, but his mind snaps. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Ronan finally finds Tana Nile, who was mortally wounded in the assault. Before dying, she informs him that the House Fiero, the leading power in the Kree Empire, were behind her testimony. They're a bunch of dirty bastards. Um, Ronan and Gamora then work together to get the survivors off planet and warn the Kree of the wave's arrival. Yep. And that was all during the, the course of... Um during the course of Ronan's miniseries. So we cut to, um, I believe this is from, Oh wait, no, no, no. We need to stop. Hmm. Stop. Wait a minute. Because this is starting to go into actual, um, is this prologue? Mm, no, this is actually, I want to say this is during the course. No, this is, I believe during the course of, well, we don't stop, but this, this is we're going to go around it because I believe that pro- the whole thing with Phyla and Moondragon happens in actual uh, Annihilation. Oh, okay. Yes. If I remember, because I was reading that, and I was like, wait, wait, what, what, hold up. Right, right. I was about to say, we're right on the cusp of uh, Annihilation Day when we're talking about the major offensive, mm-hmm. and that is the beginning of the actual miniseries proper. So we've actually gone through the majority of the events in the prologue miniseries. Yes. Uh, there's a couple of things that we can go go backtrack around to. Sure. Uh, because that looks at the, the majority of what we're going through is Silver Surfers uh, and Ronins. There is a good a little bit from Novas that we, I guess we can kind of kind of talk about because um, so yeah. So going back to the Nova miniseries, which is kind of going around something around here. I think we already talked about the, how they escaped to someplace else. No, we didn't actually. So. Nova basically, we, are, we got to the point where Nova downloaded the World Mountains of his helmet and got a power boost from it. Then we talked about all of that and we, him meeting up Drax and Cammy. Cool. Uh, they all escaped Xandar to, thanks to Nova um, and with a little help from Drax, you know, threatening to kill him, to Nikos um, Aristides, I guess that is called. They meet up with right. Quasar, who's trying to uh, evacuate the Iconians and ask for Nova's help. Um, and he's a little sheepish about it because he's still kind of scared the, about his powers. But Drax kind of comes in and is like, "Look, this is why he's this is why he doesn't want to do it." He talks about the whole power thing, and he's scared, and he lost control of this and that, the other. But Nova finally decides to want to help, you know, or gets guilted into helping one of the two. Take your pick. Um, but yeah, and we also find out why Drax and Cammy are staying close to Nova because because of his big power set. As Drax said, he's the safest. He is close to the safe way some to be near someone with that big of a power set in time right. like this. So, and we also find out that Drax has another ulterior motive for this that we come to find out in I think later on in this series I, I believe if I'm not mistaken but I'll just go ahead and say it is that if you know anything about Drax the Destroyer he's single minded in his goal and that goal is going after Thanos which we already know is around so 
we come to find out that he's he's trying to get back to um to to uh kill Thanos. Right. Uh anyway, let's see. Uh Quasar and Nova. No, I was about to say just you gotta go we got we actually in terms of the sequence here, we have to go back. We 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 kind of glossed over this happening. Right. Um because Annihilus has always been a formidable opponent, but becomes more so because of several things that he does during oh, this right. miniseries that really boosts his deadliness. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, the wave is basically held at a standstill by Quasar and Nova, but when they go after Annihilus, it's actually at Annihilus's bidding. He's actually setting a trap because right. he sensed that there was great power um, and they actually make a Spider-Man reference here. Um, oh, yes, I do. I remember that. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, you know, he senses the great power that Richard Ryder is wielding because of uh, his possession of the entirety of the Nova Force. So he's actually going after Richard Ryder's uh, gravimetric powers, but... And Quasar's uh, to a lesser degree, but yes. Exactly. He's, I, think his, I think his main goal is Nova's powers, but as, um, as the, uh, uh, the two of them, Nova and Quasar, are trying to tag team against uh, uh, Annihilus, Annihilus basically uh, incapacitates Nova and some ill stuff happens to Quasar. Yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> Quasar did. Yeah. Ill, um, ill stuff. Yeah. He actually, you know, using the uh, cosmic control rod, which is one of the more powerful artifacts in the uh, Marvel Cosmic Universe, uses that to basically um, w- uh, uh, withdraw the entirety of the force that um, that 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 that's part that that's part of the quantum bands, and you know, basically, you know, sucks the life out of literally sucks the life out of Quasar. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that happens. And the same thing almost happens to Nova, except for he comes up with a plan, um, to let himself to, well, one, he's fighting, um, fighting, uh, Annihilus, but he comes up with a plan to basically let him capture him. And when he, when he does capture him, uses the world mind to basically hack, uh, hack, uh, hack his fleet. Hack the the, right. uh, the annihilation wave and get them to fight each other. He doesn't fully does that, but he doesn't. He does some considerable damage, which causes uh, Annihilus to withdraw and to also detonate that part of the fleet that got uh, that got taken taken over because he couldn't right. uh, re- regain control of them. Right. One of the cool things uh, uh, that that comes in this exchange, or at least in the aftermath of this exchange, is that Annihilus says, "I will not be tricked like that again." Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, what, what, what's great about this particular event. And I have to, I have to admit that uh, when I was initially collecting this, I did not collect all of the lead, t- the lead-ins, all of the tie-in miniseries. All I collected. When I was uh, when this was coming out in real time, was the Annihilation Prologue, the Nova books, and the Silver Surfer books, and I do not have all of the Silver Surfer books. I I know this because it's on one. It's one of those. I think one of the issues is on my list of things to pick up at some point at a con. Mm. So um, this entire 
discussion. The, you know, the discussion tonight has been very informative to me. I did not have, as Roddy Cat mentioned, we kind of called an audible uh, to uh, to split the discussion of this event into two episodes. The prologue would be tonight, and the miniseries proper and the epilogue would come next week. So um, I'm a little underprepared, and I dis- and I sincerely apologize to the uh, our fans, our listeners, and our viewers. But I definitely appreciate being able to go through this and seeing how the uh, the the groundwork for the miniseries is laid out in all of these books. And as we mentioned earlier, so many of the character developments that we have basically taken for granted now happen right here. So I'm actually going to endeavor to read these over the weekend just to get a better sense of uh, uh, of the magnitude of this event. It's really, I was basically surprised that there were that many miniseries. Like I said, I knew of Nova and Surfer. Those are the ones I, I plunked money down for. I just didn't pick up all the other ones. Right. So it's really enlightening. Uh, shout out to Marvel Unlimited, like I, like we always say. Um, shout out to Marvel Unlimited for allowing us to go through this event and read up on some of the things that we didn't pick up, or at least I didn't pick up the first time around. Right. And I took it upon myself like earlier in the week. It was like, because I started reading Annihilation, the the first issue of Annihilation, then after reading Drax, because I knew I had read Drax, written Drax, like I said before, and I knew it falls into this series. But again, it doesn't, if you look it up on like um, Marvel Unlimited or even, well, if you look it on Marvel Unlimited, it doesn't come up as being a part of Annihilation. Because it pretty much starts right before it basically leads into the prologue, like we said earlier. So, but it is a part of it because you get to that in you know, the character development him, and you see he's how he ends up getting into prologue, and that mm-hmm. was the good reason why I took it from there and be like, well, I'm gonna read prologue because we weren't going to do that anyway because it was one thing. But that's where everything starts jumping off, and that's where everything starts tagging the other uh, miniseries at the same time. And unfortunately, the ways this um, this event is kind of structured, you know, they slightly intertwine with each other. But there is enough of a sequential order to where you can you can there's a significant order that you can kind of get to and get, you know, get stuff out of which you kind of have to. Because if you read Annihilation issue one by itself, there is a page recap, just like a lot of comic books do. But some of the stuff is kind of pertinent from the miniseries, like the whole thing you oh, find yeah. out. Yeah, like the whole thing you find out in uh, in Silver Surfer as to you know what Annihilus wants with the uh, the Heralds of Galactus, um, and even you know like what happened here in Nova, the last issue of uh, the Nova series, which is pretty much a part of that. Because right. I mean, take it from me as someone who read this in real time. Uh, you could probably get away with reading the prologue book yes. and have that as your lead into the event proper. And you'll get a general idea, a real, you know, a pretty good general idea of the you know, broad strokes of what's going on and who the players are and what their motivations are. But I definitely agree with Roddy in that there is a lot more to be read. There's a lot more to the story outside of what's in the prologue book because we are immediately jump in with a modified Drax and Cammy. You know, as 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 he's being scanned and being identified as not being exactly the tracks that we knew. Mm-hmm. So 
it's definitely uh, beneficial to go back and read these tie-in books um, as much as maybe as comic book collectors and fans of the medium we're not so keen on having to read all of the tie-ins i think this particular event um because these are precursor uh stories to the event really do um have an impact as opposed to being kind of tangential tie-ins the way a a lot of books can be during the course of comic book events Mm mm-hmm so these are these are much more foundational books as opposed to tangential tie-ins. Right. And even with the the Super Scroll miniseries, which arguably is probably the the most tangential of um well between this one and Ronan are the most tangential ones, but they still tie in in some very some relatively significant ways at points. Right. Um you still get stuff out of them. So therefore, like, yeah, you can go out without, without taking those in, but at the same time, they, they, there's a point or two in there that kind of helps going into annihilation proper. Right, right, right. And as I mentioned, it, I think it's, 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 uh, it's more helpful, far more helpful Mm -hmm. than, you know, than, than the, the tie-ins that we decry as just being a cash grab. Yeah. You know, these are not, these are definitely not cash grabs. These are, for the most part, parts of the foundation of the story. Right. And also, so there are, I guess if you count the prologue, uh, there are, and the, the prologue is one shot. So there are four miniseries. Well, technically, in all, there are five miniseries, but one we will talk about, and that's, and we will talk about next week because that's an aftermath thing. But the four that we've talked about now are like four issues apiece. They're fairly easily reads. Like, well, it's particularly the Drax one. Actually, excuse me, five with the Drax one. Sorry, so it's like to sort of add one more to that account. But um, I will put a link to the a, the Annihilation reading order in the show notes so it case anybody wants to, you know, partake of that um, after this discussion. And I guess we could before, and it's, it's, it's well, two things. One, it's kind of hard to do a click of the week for any of these because it's like there's so many moving parts and so many things. So we, you know, right. if, if there's a, if there's a book in the issue that stands out to you, then you can kind of call it out if you if you can think of it. No, I was about to say I think but. I'm just a little bit underprepared for this particular show, mm. um, you know, for this for this particular review because I just haven't been able to read all of these uh, prologue books. But I can say that, as I said before, this is definitely one of those events where these prologue books are probably, uh, you know, more important than not. Right. And I give listen. There's a reason why. Even though I never read these prologue books, I was a, I've always been a big fan of this miniseries. I've always been a big fan of this event because of all because of the way it's told. Shout out to Keith Giffen, by the way. Yes, who that's what is going to get to next? Yeah, the, the right. Creators. Who is the architect of this story and really does a number on several characters and really sets the stage for I hate to say this, the MCU as we know it today. Yeah. You know, for, you know, like, never mind the, uh, the, the cosmic, 
the cosmic characters in the Marvel universe, because this definitely gets the ball rolling on these annihilation style events, the success of this event. And we'll talk more about this next week after we talk about the event proper and it's uh, epilogue. Uh, the success of this event uh, spawned several spinoffs uh, of varying quality, but the follow the, the annihilation conquest, the one that comes right after this is just as good. And, uh, and, and spawns literally spawns a team that we still know today. Right. A version of the team that we definitely know that we have talked about during the course of this event today. Exactly. With some significantly changed characters from this event. So, right. Um, what else was I going to say? I can't remember, but so we're pretty much at the end of this, uh, this, uh, this thing tonight and we will reconvene this tomorrow. There was something else about this event that I was going to say, cause I feel like we, we might've missed something, but if we can probably go into it next week, if it, if it happens to come into play, as a matter of fact, we'll probably will. It probably will because we're going into the event proper and we're going into the 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 teeth of the war, mm-hmm. you know, the teeth of the battle, and uh, it's so it it honestly, you know, the epic scale of this event is probably what drew me in, and that's why I have such fond memories of it. It's really, really something that, you know, you kind of imagine the Kree Scroll War to be like. You know, mm-hmm. and when we actually read the Kree Scroll War, it's like, wait, it's not like this. This is, you know, this is this is Marvel spacefaring at its finest. Which is actually funny. You mentioned the Kree Scroll War because Quasar actually says something. It was like, hey, do you remember the Kree Scroll War? Didn't anybody learn anything from that? You know, <laughs> but you know, this was you know, not knowing what was what everything was going on in this particular one, but you know, still yet. You know, when he said it was a thing. So, yeah, I do have a couple of notes here that I want to kind of briefly go through that. That just that was some uh, interesting highlights that I that I thought about. So in the Civil Surfer miniseries, um, uh, as I alluded to earlier, there was a couple of uh, Star Wars references or there was a Star Wars references because when Thanos meets up with Annihilus in Annihilus's throne room, if you mm-hmm. look at a one panel, it looks like the Emperor the Palpatine's throne room. Like, <laughs> like you see the chair right there in front of the window and the, the, the consoles that's right, right there dead on. Mm-hmm. And then I want to say, um, is it later on in that? Yeah. It's later on in that miniseries, which was, uh, might've been like uh, three uh, issue three or four. We see um, in a bunch of the, in the refugee ships, one of them looks like the Battlestar Galactica. The quote unquote, the new version of Battlestar Galactica, because I believe that show was actually going on at the time. Um, but the newer version of Battlestar Galactica and another Star Wars type ship was in it, which I can't recall, but uh, but I know it is a Star Wars looking ship that was in the the uh, the refugee ships. Mm-hmm. So that was an amusing thing. Oh, also we actually forgot we we did talk about the fact that Galactus gets caught up because, or did we talk about that actually? Not yet, not yet. It actually doesn't happen here. It happens in the in the event proper. Wait, I thought it does because I thought it happens at the end of um, Silver Surfer. See, this is when, yeah, maybe you're right because we definitely do. They, they definitely do talk about it at the when the the in the event proper. No, wait, no, 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 no. I think 
Hang on a second. No, you're right. You're right. Because, yeah, because I remember in the beginning of Annihilation issue one, um, Quill and Nova are talking to, I think, the um, the um, one of Analysis people that they caught from the miniseries. Um, from the Super Service, well, from one, yeah, from, from Nova Super miniseries, and they basically and, and talk about the fact that Galactus got captured. But mm-hmm. in Silver Surfer, we I think we start to see where how did we get to that point? Um, but I thought it was the Silver Surfer series is where he does get caught at least at the end of it. But I don't think that's the case. Anyway, um, I think that's pretty much it. Like all of the final points we've done, little, little things we we know Karth is still around. We know Cor- uh, Gamora, old school Gamora. Is, is still kicking around, and we're going to get into next week Annihilation number one and go through... It happens uh, in Annihilation number one. It yeah, does happen okay. in Annihilation number one. That's just scrolling through it right now. Right. Okay, But yeah. the lead-up to it is what you were referring to. Right, in Silver Surfer's miniseries. So, yeah. Right. Got it. So, yeah, so you can see all the parts start, the, the plate starts spinning and other stuff and, and kind of, like I said, if you did not have that information going into Annihilation number one, you, you're going to be like, how in the world is this happening? Where does it even come in? So it's worth reading the prologue stuff. That being said, um, I guess we can get to our last ad read of the night, unless you got something else. No, I'm good. So last ad read of the night is for Amazon because it's time to go to bed. Visit CSPN.us then click the keep our podcast free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel, bookcases, Etc. Etc. For every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPN a payment that helps us keep the Comic Book Chronicles podcast free for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPN.us. Do it today. Kaching. And as we round the corner to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles, let me put the shot back up. I'd like to thank you all for coming out. We appreciate you. Be back here next week for um, when we talk about the Core Annihilation series and the fallout from that. Uh, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can also find me at News News Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Kaching. Uh, Agent underscore seventy on Twitter and Instagram. Ka-ching! <laughs> PCN underscore dirt on Twitter, PopCultureNet on Twitter, PopCultureNetwork.com, and uh, Byte, the, the Vine replacement, under the term comic reviews, no underscore, no, no vowels. Ka-ching! Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8 on Twitter, uh, um, CB Cron on Twitter, excuse me, uh, which is the Comic Chronicles uh, accounts. Uh, send us some, tell us how you like this or not, you know, or if you do like this, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, the click nation on Twitter, the click nation.com. That's D K L I Q N A T L N. And also comic book resources where he's over there, writing his face off. Good thing. Um, you can find this here podcast on the coast of the podcast network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. Uh, you can also find this here at your podcast Perusal place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, Spotify, and the Coastal Lizard Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. Uh, a big shout out to whoever sent me the popcorn maker and the popcorn therein. 
Um, I think I know who you are. I need to confirm that. But thank you, just in case you watch this, if you happen to be in that number, because there's only a very limited number of people who would have the resources to do said thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, but I appreciate it very much, and it will be getting used as soon as I find space for it. That being said, folks, uh, this has been the Combo Chronicles. Peace. Peace. One. I also love it when a plan comes together. Uh-huh.